My guest today is a sports writer for the Austin American Statesman covering all things Longhorns. Please welcome Brian Davis. Brian, how's it going? Going good, man. How are you? Hey, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine, man. Thanks for coming on to the podcast. Appreciate it. Absolutely. You bet. All right. Well, hey, let's kick this off. Let's get right in there. What do you do? (laughs) I am a sports writer for the Austin American Statesman. I cover the University of Texas football team, football, men's basketball, the athletic department as a whole, quite frankly. And yeah, I mean, all things Longhorns for the Austin paper. Nice. Great. So now, when did you get interested in sports writing? Well, I mean, I guess that goes back to when I was in college. Mm. When I was in school, you couldn't just go to the journalism school. You had to apply to get into the journalism school once you got into college. Right. And they, and they said, okay, well, what do you want to be? And I said, well, I want to be a broadcaster. I wanted to be the next Peter Jennings because that's mm. what I grew up watching, and minus the smoking, of course. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and so they, they said, okay, we well, need to go get some real-world experience, and uh, you need to get some writing experience. So I went to the school newspaper and started doing that, got into the program. And then I realized really quickly that carrying a 35 pound minicam is not the world's greatest life. You know, Mm. it was miserable. And the amount of work that goes into what you see on the news at night is quite a lot. And, and I, and I just felt like that's a lot of work for not a lot of payoff, you know, because what you see on the news every night is literally just a fraction of the story because it's a time thing. You know, they're trying to get multiple things in in between segments. So, mm-hmm. so I just start, I just started writing and I don't know, I guess I just kind of fell in love with the newspaper aspect of it. Cause you, it was long form. You can tell a real story and you could tell a complete story. Right. Okay. Nice. So you've been doing this for a while. You said the, the school paper, I'm guessing the uh, Daily Texan is. I did. Yeah. Okay. I, went to, I went to, I went to UT. I, you know, I don't advertise that because for doing what I do now, people are like, Oh, you know, you're a Homer and all that. Yeah. And you know what, what I tell people is that this is the truth is that you do this as long as I have and the fan gets beaten out of you. Mm. Once you learn how they make the donuts, you're not going to want to eat a lot of donuts. I can promise you that. But, <laughs> but yeah, but I love sports, obviously, still. And you, and you do have to like sports and you got to like people because what, what we're in is, is we are in the storytelling business of people. Mm-hmm. The games are merely the frame that you work with, but ultimately you're telling the story of, of people in their lives. Right. Okay. Now, going with that and talking about you making the donuts. So you've been working with UT for a while now. So I'm guessing you've also gained relationships with certain coaches. And if so, does that make it a little bit more difficult for you in your job when you're having to make a critical stories? Yes and no. Mm. Uh, the majority of the coaches that I've worked with uh, over the years, they know the score. Okay. They, they know how this works. And typically, the best kind of coaches are the guys that and gals that, frankly, don't mind getting blasted, mm. right? I mean, they, they just don't. Because I'm telling you, no one is going to be more critical of their team than they are, right? Yeah, and, and the way I look at it, too, is covering college athletics – these are not professionals, mm. right? These are not people who are getting paid for their services. So it, I think it's unfair to just blast them with an M16 every Saturday afternoon, right? Mm-hmm. So my theory has always been you can criticize the team however much you want, but don't criticize individuals, mm. right? Don't say, well, Sam Ellinger was terrible today and God, he's awful, right? You just stick to the facts. Right. Quarterback X threw for 233 yards and, you know, four interceptions, mm. whatever. And now that's what the players. Now with the coaches, the coaches are paid professionals. So you can blast yep. them <laughs> to see them come. And, you, and, and you know, they kind of expect it. And they, they want you to blast them as opposed to blasting the players. Okay. So no issues with them maybe not giving you as much access because of a story you might have written or anything like that? Oh, I mean, I've definitely had run-ins with coaches over the years. There's no oh, question okay. about that, but mm-hmm. there's no doubt about that. But for the most part, generally speaking, 
as long as you're fair, if you're fair with it, they're totally cool. Okay. All right. Now, being in the industry so long, what have you seen change in the industry? Uh, the biggest thing that the number one thing that has changed is the access or lack thereof. I was very fortunate enough to get into this industry on the tail end of what we kind of call the golden era of giant newspaper, sports sections, unlimited budgets. It was a time where you could still get to know the players and get to know the coaches as individuals, but that's gone away. It's gone away for a multitude of reasons. Social media, number one, Mm -hmm. uh, message boards, number two, and just the general distrust of the media as a whole in our society has hurt that as well. Because nowadays, if a player says something that is remotely eyebrow raising, it's on Twitter. Right. And if you don't put it on Twitter, here's, here's the problem we have as journalists. So let's say that five people are standing around the quarterback, okay, for a scrum interview session. Okay. Well, it used to be when I started, there was no Twitter, obviously. And so the quarterback could say something like, we're going to beat this team by three touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Okay, whatever. Well, normally you would, well, it used to be, you would take that quote, you would save it, and it would not appear until next morning's paper, Mm. right? Well, now it's literally going to be on the internet within seconds. Yeah. And let's say that if, if five people are standing around the quarterback and four of them tweet that quote, Okay, I'm going to get a call from my boss and go, hey, were you were you there? Yeah, I was there. Well, why didn't you tweet that? Well, because I was trying to save it for the next one. No, you no, you got to get that out there now. Right. And then it's not only made the players more cautious about what they say, it's because the opponents are going to be reading this within seconds and they might answer back. Right. You know, you know, they might start talking trash to their guys on their end. And next thing you know, it's all over Twitter and it's become a thing. And so so what ends up happening is that everybody pulls in their reins. Everybody cuts off access. You don't really get to know anybody. And quite frankly, the players become fake. Mm. The players become fake. They tell you the sanitized, non-controversial thing that you want to hear. It's every cliche in the book. We bought our A game. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and it's too bad because like Texas, for example, has some very incredible people playing these sports and you're not going to get to know them. Mm. You're just not. Yeah, that's interesting. And now there was a period in your career where you went into the financial services industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like? And then also what made you change and come back to sports writing? I wanted to be poor. That was that's generally... (laughs) I wanted to be broke. Um, no, so so I, I worked for the Dallas Morning News for uh, eleven years, I believe it was, and mm-hmm. uh, and then the and then the Great Recession hit, right? And people were getting shoved off of the Titanic left and right, and I chose to jump, you know, because we had cut so many people that I knew that I was next, mm-hmm. and it was either jump to a lifeboat or or get pushed off this thing, and who knows what happened. And so I ended up going to work in financial services. I went to work at Morgan Stanley first as a financial advisor and then got recruited over to Merrill Lynch a year into it, which was a very nice deal and stayed with Merrill for, I want to say a little over three years. I think it was three years. Grew my own book of business, had my own clients, started from scratch. I wasn't given anything. And I built up to 30 million in assets, which some advisors, that's chicken scratch for some. And then for other people, you know, they'd never get there. And so I had reached escape velocity on having my own book of business. But I'll tell you what's so funny is that I did miss it. I did miss, I did miss the writing. Mm -hmm. So what I would do is I was writing emails to clients and prospects trying to explain financial services, because a lot of people don't know a lot of just basic things about, you know, what is an IRA? What is a annuity? What is a pension? What is a self, self-funded pension? Right. How do I pull this 401k over to my new job? Yeah. People don't know these things. So I was still writing in that way. And then Johnny Menzel happened, mm. actually. <laughs> and he has the big Heisman run. And it just got me invigorated again. 
to be like, wow, I cannot believe this is exciting thing is happening and I'm missing it. Mm. Right. Because let me tell you something, clients, they don't call their financial advisor when the stock market's going up. Right. Okay. But they will blow your ass up when it's going down. And you can't hide. You got to be there. You can't, yeah. you can't hide. And I don't mind hiding. I, I like talking to people about mm -hmm. it. But but they think it's my fault, right? And, then, <laughs> and I have nothing, and I have nothing to do with any of it, right? So that feeling, and I just missed writing, and so and then the statesman had two people take votes, and so Kirk Bowles, the columnist, called me up one day and said, "Hey, you're taking this job," <laughs> and I said, "You're right. Let me go home and talk to my wife about it." And she was cool, and we moved from Dallas to Austin, and it was in 2013, and here we are, yeah. Nice. That is awesome. And how was that transition back to sports writing difficult at all, or was it a smooth transition because it's something you were doing before and a passion of yours? Oh, it, it was easy. Okay. It, it was easy going smooth, smooth and back in. My official start date was, I want to say, December 7th of 2013, and one week later... I was on the front page of the Statesman writing that Mac Brown had been fired. Mm. So, you know, the paper needed, they were in a very weird spot. The paper needed someone that could hit the ground running. And because it was known that Mac was on his way out, yeah. you know, probably going to get pushed out at that time. And they needed somebody who didn't have to waste any time figuring out, okay, now who is Mac Brown? Who is the guy? Why is he important? <laughs> that type of deal. So, right. so yeah. So seven days in, in my new job, I land in a coaching search. Texas hires Charlie Strong, and off we go. Oh, all right. Now, with that, Texas fans just say volatile fan base. So, with that, can you just talk about the pluses and minuses for doing sports writing for a program with such a volatile fan base? Well, the, the one thing I would say to that is, I'm very fortunate that Texas fans are as passionate as they are. Mm -hmm. I've been lucky to cover Texas Tech, Oklahoma. I covered A&M for one year that they fired uh, Dennis Francione. And so that's really nothing new to me, but it's just, it's easy to forget how the Texas brand is worldwide. I have a guy who emails me from London who says, the game was great, the game was terrible, this, fire this coach, play this guy the people from all over the right. world and, and it's very flattering to know that people are logging in and reading your stuff. But at the end of the day, I don't think about any of that, quite frankly, when I'm writing a story, when I give talks to communications folks, like, you know, Oh my God, how do you, how do you do it? How do you do it? And it's just like, I can't stress this enough. You are telling a story to your best friend, mm -hmm. right? The way you have to think of it is, it's like I sit down on the edge of the table or I sit down on a bar stool and be like, man, you're not going to believe what happened at Texas today. <laughs> this guy did this. This guy did that. The coach said this. The AD said that. The fans went crazy. And, you know, they're 6-0 and or they're 5-2, and whatever. And it's never been forced because I always have had a conversational tone in print. And the one thing I would say about story construction that a lot of younger journalists miss is understand that every single sentence and paragraph is supposed to lead to the next one. You are painting a visual picture with nouns and verbs, right? And when I build my stories, every single sentence has been there for a reason, mm -hmm. right? There are times I will construct sentences that have literally one sentence directed at one person, right? Like I want the coach to read this. I want the quarterback to see that. And there are times I put words and phrases in my stories that are meant for an audience of one or two, because you got to remember when you're writing to a mass audience, you're supposed to write at a, what a seventh grade level. Mm -hmm. That is true. And trust me, there's a lot of people who aren't that smart either, <laughs> but there's a lot of other people who are. Right. So you have to remember, you, you have to appeal to a, to a very, very wide audience. And and I always felt like if, if you insert a turn of phrase or a word that maybe some people don't know, hey, that's okay too. You know, it forces yeah. people to think. 
I like that. I like the, the storytelling you talk about and the tone and just acting like you're having a conversation with your friend or on GroupMe or something with your friends talking about what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, Absolutely. That's great. So now you talked about when you came in, that's when Mac Brown's on the way out. Quick question about that. Were we ever close to getting Saban? <laughs> <laughs> No, and the re- okay. no, and the reason why is because Bill Powers did not want to hire him. Bill Powers mm. was the president at the time, and Bill Powers, rest his soul, he thought that Nick Saban cheated, mm. and so he wasn't going to hire him. Mac also was throwing a fit about the whole thing. Yeah. Pardon my language. Mac's whole thing was, you are not going to push out to have Nick Saban come in here and save right. the day. Right. Right. I'm not going to allow that. Well, if you remember back, there were a enough loyalists at the time that it's like hey coach we love you but we, we want to get rid of you but okay well we'll honor your request on this thing right right and so there was the meeting at the tower that mac tried to stay on powers and them they didn't they basically didn't know how to tell mac in a very gracious way that you're fired right, right? mac brown did not resign he was fired even though the official history is that he did resign but that's not what happened. He was fired. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, talking about the coaches, I'm excited about the program right now with getting started in just, I think, the best offensive coordinator out there. And then he also brings in all these other coordinators from Alabama and other places. I think we got probably one of the best defensive coordinators now that's going to attack that air raid in the Big 12. You got great strength and conditioning coach. And I think they're doing a lot of speed drills now. And I'm very excited. But I'm an optimist. So what are you, what's your view on the program currently? Well, I'll say this, because I really do believe this, is that I think Texas is starting at a more advanced spot with Sark than they were with Tom Herman or Charlie Strong. All right. And the reason why I say that is because if you look at the staff that has been assembled, in addition to Steve being a very good offensive mind, as you mentioned, if you look at the staff that's been assembled, two of them have been head coaches in the past. Stan Drayton is going to be a head coach someday, probably very soon. The tight ends coach, Jeff Banks, is considered to be an excellent recruiter mm-hmm. in the recruiting space, as is Terry Joseph yep. as well. So I think that this staff is starting at a much better spot in terms of their ability to recruit to power five schools. And that's something else too, is that the overall collection of coaching talent has more power five experience than anything that Tom and Charlie had their first years. And so these guys know what they're doing and they've been around the block and I think they understand who they're working for. Mm -hmm. And that is a coach who has been knocked to the bottom of this profession. He once thought he would never get a chance like this ever again. And I promise you all that Steve Sarkeesian is thinking in his mind is don't screw this up, mm-hmm. right? And I gotta tell you, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I never really felt that Charlie, you just never felt like, okay, big 12 championships, here they come, right? And with Tom, it was, Uh, we think big 12 championships are coming you know right Right. but with steve it feels like it just feels like yeah this guy is going to get them to arlington Mm -hmm. and hopefully get over the hump so what are your expectations then for 2021 for this team well i mean i i've said this numerous times publicly and i'm not going to change it is that is i'm in the mode now where i'm done talking about are they going to win the Big 12? Or are they going to get to Arlington? How about, hey, Texas, how about you just beat Louisiana Lafayette right, right. in the season opener, <laughs> right? Let's just start there. Because in the last seven years, this is a program that has screwed up the coin toss. This is a program yeah. that has screwed around and lost to Maryland twice. Mm-hmm. This is a program that fumbles on the goal line against TCU. Yeah. This is a program that uh, got outcoached by LSU at home and ran a zero blitz on third and 17, right? And so so that's why I feel like, hey, let's not focus on the CFP. Let's not focus on winning in Arlington. I, I absolutely hate, I hated Tom's cliche of, 
oh, we just want to go one and zero this week. I thought that was stupid, but the point that he's trying to make is don't worry about all that. We focus on what is next, and right now the only thing that's next is Louisiana Lafayette in the opener. Mm-hmm. So come on, Texas, beat them, <laughs> and then let's worry about beating Arkansas. And then you can worry about beating whoever the scrub team is third. I can't even remember. <laughs> and then go from there. Yeah. No, you're right. Good point. And, oh, man, she brought up some horrible memories. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> you, should have a, you should be like me and have a front row seat to these disasters. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, all right, you mentioned Tom and Charlie and what they went through. What are some pitfalls that happen to them that Steve needs to avoid? Well, you know, Charlie, I think Charlie just ran into a, a game day execution problem, really, more than anything else. I mean, Charlie Strong is, a, is a, an excellent man, an excellent person, very well liked internally, very well liked, maybe slash loved by the media. He just didn't win enough games. Yeah. Right. And, and I've always, said if that's the worst thing anybody says about you you're doing okay (laughs) you know you're doing okay and just there were times where you just thought oh my god what is he what's going on out there so there was that tom is not a warm and fuzzy guy by any stretch of the imagination (laughs) a lot of people thought tom was an a-hole right i personally i don't think that is all the way true but I, i saw him away from the podium saw him away from the cameras and so I, I know what Tom Herman is about. Yes, he got a bad rap, but it's because he didn't win enough games to kind of overcome that, right? I mean, like, like I said, you lose back-to-back openers to Maryland, yeah. and the knives are going to be out. Mm-hmm. It was what it was. And, you know, here's a guy who came in to Texas wanting to kiss the players before the games. And it's like, what? What, what, what is that, coach, you know? What are we doing here? You know, right? And so yeah, I have Aggie friends that make fun of me all the time about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and so it's so it's like you know, okay. I mean, I get I get it. I mean, here's the thing about it: you got to understand, Tom Herman is a guy that he grew up without a father figure really in his life, raised by his mother. He knows full well that some of his players don't have father figures in their life either. He feels like it is part of his duty to fill that gap if you will. We could obviously have a psychological talk about whether guys want that or not. That's a discussion for another time, but some players liked it and some didn't. And, right. and so, I don't know. I think Tom is kind of like a Rorschach test. You know, you see what you want to see. Mm. Yeah. You know, but, the, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, all of that can be brushed aside if Wins. you win the games. Yep. Yep. I'll tell you a funny story. So when he got the job in November 2016, shortly after that, he calls all the players and all the parents to a team meeting, a team and kind of family meeting in the North End Zone. It was held in the North End Zone Club, on the stadium club on the, I think it's the ninth floor. Mm-hmm. And, and he tells the parents in this meeting, he says, okay, we need everybody pulling in the same direction. We need everybody rowing the boat in the same way. And part of that is, is that you guys, you guys need to, uh, we need to stop having negative things in the press. We need you to stop putting things on the message boards, stop leaking things to recruiting reporters. You need to stop talking to the media. And I had a parent call me up like within 30 minutes of leaving that thing. And he says, yeah, I'm, I'm not supposed to talk to y'all no more. <laughs> I said, why is that? He says, well, I just, you know, Tom said he can't talk to more. So I tweeted Texas coach Tom Herman tells parent they are not to speak to the media, comma, a parent said. (laughs) Because that's me just trying to drive the knife in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so that night, I drove to Baylor because I had to cover a basketball game in Waco. And my phone's blowing up, and I look down, and it's a a new 512 number that I didn't know who it was. And he says, Brian, Tom Herman, I can't believe you would – put that out there. I can't believe you do this. And he basically starts berating me over the phone. Right. And, and I just told him, I said, look, I said, look, that may not be what you said, but that is what they heard. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't talk to the media. That's what these parents heard. Okay. And I just told him, I said, Tom, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told Charlie. Okay. 
I said, don't worry about the parents. Don't worry about the recruiting sites. Don't worry about the message boards. Don't worry about the fans. Don't worry about the tower. Just win the effing games. Okay. <laughs> Just win the effing games. Mm-hmm. That's what I told him. Just <laughs> win the effing games. And that, what's so funny is that he calmed down. It was no longer DEFCON 1 or whatever. And he was like, okay, okay, you're right. You're right. Okay. I really look forward to this relationship. I really want to be here a long time. It's going to be great. Okay. All right. Hook them. I was like, okay, see you later, coach. Wow. You know? Took that well. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is that that's what it's all about. Just mm-hmm. win the bleeping games. Yeah. And, and you can do whatever you want here. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very true. So talking about winning the games, one last thing on a, on a football team, stud running back, unbelievable stud running back that we have. Wish we ran it more, but stud running back, our quarterback looks nice. We got some transfers, one from Notre Dame, one from LSU. Seems like our secondary looks good, but what holes do you see in the team right now? Well, I, I tell you, for the recruiting and transfer portal and all that really got going, I was really worried about the offensive line because you look at Cosme was leaving. Yeah. And it looked like Okafor was leaving, Kerstetter was leaving. And I really thought to myself, having to replace three guys out of five on a team that, quite frankly, has not developed depth the way they should, that's going to be a major problem. Well, Kerstetter announced he was coming back, and Okafor is going to take advantage of the NCAA COVID year. Okafor is coming back. And the thing is, is that – are these guys college football Hall of Fame players? No, but these are good, serviceable college athletes, right? All right. And these are good players that you would have no problem rolling out there on any given Saturday, right? And that's big. And so that gives Texas a ability to, okay, well, now you only got to plug one hole, and that's a tackle, right? Mm-hmm. So you can reshuffle things, and you can pay for that over. I really like Jake Majors coming up as a young center. I think he has a really good potential here. So that, to me, checks off the big box of O-line. Yeah. And, then it's de- and then it's defense line. I think Keandre Coburn's going to keep coming on. I really like Javondre Sweat. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think he's got a lot of something. I think, I think Ojimo has got something. I think he's got something good brewing there. And then Alfred Collins is a guy that, when he made that interception in the Alamo Bowl. Unbelievable. Yeah, I think the random Texas fan, that was their first real moment of, oh, my God, who is this guy, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is that Alfred had been bubbling under the surface kind of all year, you know? Uh, He probably didn't play as much as he thought he might, or he probably didn't get to play as much as the folks in Bastrop thought he would. But, I mean, my God, that interception gets the album bowl, it's like, okay. Let's get this guy some more playing time. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And then with the offensive line, the last three games, it looked amazing with Bijan doing what he did. So we'll see. We'll see what they do next year. Yeah, and I hate to be so blasé about it, but the fact that Tom did not play Bijan, I think, fueled his ouster, quite frankly. I think it added to it. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you see a guy that does, play during the bulk of the year but when he is in the game it is painfully obvious that he should get more chances i mean painfully obvious i mean the west virginia game he starts off with a 50-yard run he closes it with like a 40-yard catch whatever that was Mm -hmm. right i mean it b john robinson was screaming for more opportunity yeah and then the only reason he did get more opportunities was because Keontae Ingram got hurt right. against Oklahoma State. And then, wow, a five-star recruit had over 400 all-purpose yards in the last two games. <laughs> hmm, gee, coach, maybe you should have played him more often. <laughs> you know, maybe you wouldn't have been fired. That's right. just me. I don't know. I don't get paid $5.5 million to make these decisions. Right, right. Yeah, That's, that was tough. That was uh, interesting. I mean, all season long, we were trying to figure out what's going on there, but that's going to change next season. So um, well, looking forward well, to see the, the, the one thing that's most interesting about Sarkeesian and, and how, and if you look at his statistical usage for lack of a better term, he picks a running back and he runs them. Yeah. I'm talking 25, 30 carries a game. And so if I am Sarkeesian and I'm the strength coach, 
I'm getting with Bijan and going, hey, man, you're looking at maybe 30 touches a game yeah. between runs and things on wheel routes out of the backfield. So you better get with it. This offseason program and beef up. Yep. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm excited. All right. So on basketball, tough loss the other night. They were shorthanded. But it's, what are your thoughts on this team? They look amazing so far, just the talent they have. And it's been a while since I've seen a team like this at, at UT. So I'm excited about them as well. Absolutely. I mean, we all knew that this team might have a little something. The fact that the entire roster came back mm-hmm. from last year. But let's be honest. Everybody thought that Shaka might get fired last right. year. Right. Everybody thought that was going to happen. And then to win five of their last six, have that five-game winning streak, including that win at Texas Tech, mm-hmm. was fantastic. And then the pandemic hits. The only person who should be happy about COVID is, is Shaka Smart, because I, I truly believe that they were going to make a change, that the decision had already been made. Mm-hmm. But the pandemic hits, and if you remember back to March, Everybody just thought, oh, my God, the world's coming to an end. Right. The stock market's, stock market's going to zero, and oil and gas prices were the bottom were dropping out of that. And so it's like, you know, now's not a good time to make a change with your coach, especially when you'd have to pay him over $10 million to yeah. go, going into the teeth of a pandemic, and you're going to get the whole roster back next year, plus a five-star freshman in Greg Brown. Mm-hmm. And so – you could start over with a new coach, but given everything that happened, it just made more sense to sit tight. And I think that's proven to be the correct decision, yeah. obviously. You know, it's funny. It's kind of like a pro team that has needed a few years to, to get their sea legs and figure <laughs> out how they want to play. Right. And now they're doing that. And then it's going to be blown up here because of college. You, know, you, can't, you can't keep these guys together in the salary cap era you know, and all that stuff. But Matt Coleman, Matty Ice, mm-hmm. uh, Courtney Ramey, yeah. Jericho Sims, all these guys are finally 100% bought into Shaka's mentality and, and how he wants to play the game. I know everybody loves Greg Brown, and, and Greg is, is going to be a, a terrific pro, I think. But, man, I really like Kai Jones. Oh, my gosh. You know, long arm. Not to like him. Great rim. I know, great rim protector and mm-hmm. just just wildly, wildly athletic. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, you know, you're these games. And look, it, it's obvious Greg Brown is good, mm-hmm. right? And it's obvious Greg Brown's going to be a great pro, right? But I've been doing this long enough to where I get more enjoyment out of seeing Jackson Hayes start at zero and work his way into a lottery pick. Yeah. I get more excitement seeing Kai Jones kind of scuffle around and try to figure it out. And now he's looking like he's on his way to being terrific. Oh, yeah. There's a couple steps from the three-point line, and he's dunking. Like just takes Absolutely, yeah. He's, he's long, just athletic, like you said. He's amazing. Absolutely. And so yeah. you look at the rest of the team, Barack, I think, is a phenomenal hustle guy. Mm-hmm. I think Royce – you know, what's funny about Royce is that Royce fouls a lot. There's no doubt about that, Royce Hand. <laughs> But when he's out there, man, good things seem to happen. It, yeah. does, it just seems like they do. And then obviously, I'd be remiss not to talk on Andrew for a little bit. Yeah, you know, right. Everybody knows his backstory of uh, overcoming leukemia and getting back to where he was uh, pre-diagnosis. And but frankly, he's he's better. He's scoring better and shooting better uh, now than he was then. And they should have no problem against Kentucky in this game coming up. And then they got Baylor next week. That's going to be great. No, that's Yeah. They're, they're doing great. And I, I just hope for their sake that we finish the season. I know. I think that's a real issue, but that said, the, look, the NCAA is going to make these guys play. No matter if, what. A, <laughs> if they have to go to some parking lot in Abu Dhabi, that's what they're going to do. You're right. Right. Because and they're gonna have CBS televising, right? <laughs> to get to get that TV. And so um, the moneymaker for college. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's Shaka's best team, it's his most athletic team, it's his most fun team to watch. Yep. And I'll be damned, no fans can go to the games. Uh, no one's gonna be able to go, actually go to the tournament, most likely. They'll be in a bubble. Right. And so yeah. Texas fans don't get to enjoy what is the best of his six teams yet. Yeah, I think it's all the hair. 
<laughs> yeah, it's that, it's that conditioner. You know, yeah. You know, and I, I told him, I said, listen, man, if you need something to put in your hair, I got that too. You know? I can do that too. You're yeah, right. So, hey, can you tell me what a typical day of yours looks like? Yeah, I mean, I actually wake up pretty early. I'm an early riser. I get up early to not only get my 12-year-old to school, mm-hmm. but I like looking at the stock market every day. So that's that's part of my morning routine. Usually about 9 or 10 is when a lot of my other coworkers are waking up or uh, getting going. So you just communicate with them. Texas does a lot of things at like 11 to 12 type stuff. There's a lot of press conferences at 11 because that's usually an in-between passing period time. Guys are going from class to the lunch hall. So that's a good time to catch guys. And then early afternoon, you're writing stories and uh, doing follow-up interviews. We've got to have everything turned in, usually by about six o'clock, typically, for the next day's paper. And then after that, it's pretty chill. You know, you're going to games or you're going to practice and kind of monitoring things and dinner and put the kiddo to bed and you do it all again the next day. Nice. All right. And then once you go home, was that it? Just shut off? Oh, no, I wish. I wish. (laughs) No, I mean, like like I tell people, we're open 24 hours a day. Yeah. And and you kind of have to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, There have been stories that have broken on this beat at four or five in the morning. Oh, wow. Usually that's when the police blotter is active. But, (laughs) but, but yeah, so I've known other writers who, you know, they're literally counting, okay, you know, 39, 39 hours, 59 minutes, 58, 59 Mm. seconds, boom, I'm done Mm. for the week. And that's not what this job is. If you're counting 40 hour work weeks, you're not going to, you're not going to make it Mm. in this this racket. So it is what it is. You just kind of have to understand that going in and you have to, you have to figure out ways to maximize your time. And then maximize downtime as well. Right. Okay. Can you talk about what skills and characteristics you think are most important to be successful in your line of business? Well, you have to be a people person. Mm. Uh, there's no, there's no doubt about that. You have to be curious about people and their interests. You know, I, I think a lot of younger folks who want to get into this, they think, oh, I need to learn football, or I need to learn basketball. I need to learn you know, what a pick and roll is, or I, I need to understand what the cover two defense is. Mm-hmm. And yes, you're going to need to know that, but I think that is much, much lower on the priority scale than, than anybody really understands. At the end of the day, like I said at the beginning, at the end of the day, we are in the storytelling business. Right. We are here to write about the people, Okay. Nobody cares that nobody cares that Andrew Jones hit four three-pointers and scored 18 points in the first half against Tech, right? That's that's like one paragraph, okay? People care about Andrew Jones because he's from Irving, he's overcome leukemia, he nearly died and he worked his butt off to put that uniform back on to come play for Texas, mm. right? That's why you care about Andrew Jones, okay? Not because of, of his scoring, right? You care about Sam Ellinger because he was a diehard Texas fan from the cradle, you right. know? He, he sat on the 30-yard line with his father watching games as they grew up. His father had a cardiac arrest and drowned doing a triathlon in San Francisco. This is why you care about the guy, not because he can throw it over the middle on a slant route to, you know, Joshua Moore, right? You write about these guys as people, right? And that ultimately is why anybody cares about any of these folks. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And can you talk about what you love about what you do? I think that part of the reason why I like what I do is you're trying to bring a form of entertainment to people, you know, you know, there are a lot of people who would trade jobs with me in a heartbeat. Right. I mean, look, look, I get paid to go to sporting events. (laughs) Right. You know, I don't pay for a ticket to go anywhere. Mm. Right. And I think that some of us in the media industry, we get jaded by that. 
I mean, I certainly don't because I understand what a privilege this is, right? And there's a responsibility to it as well. I had somebody tell me this a long, long time ago who's a Texas Tech fan, and I have uh, never, ever forgotten this. He told me once, he said, look, we are going to screw it up, okay? We are going to give you plenty of reasons to say that we suck, okay? But if we're doing good, just say we're doing good, right? And I never forgotten that because it's totally true, mm-hmm. right? The fan who reads the sports page, they want the truth through their own, own team's rose-colored glasses. Right. Like Texas fans, Texas fans are very much hardcore about just give it to me straight. Yeah. If we suck, say we suck, right? Don't sugarcoat it. And at the same time, if, if the team's playing well, you know, say they're playing well, right? And, and I think that that's, and that's what I love about sports is that, um, you know, our, our society is so fractured and so split and so diverse and everyone's goes to their opposite corners on everything mm-hmm. practically. Yep. Right. But can you play or can you play? Right. You know, can you put the bucket in the, in the basket or not? Right. Right. You know, can you hit the receiver on the slant route or not? Right. It has nothing to do with race, color, creed, religious background, any of that. Can you, can you do it or not? And mm-hmm. if the answer is no, then you got to go. Cause we're going to find somebody who can. <laughs> right. And, and that's, and that's what I love about it. And so the pros I've covered professional sports. I covered the Cowboys in 2008. And I tell you something, it, I thought it would be my dream job covering America's team. And it just wasn't because professional athletes, they look at all of this in a completely different light. Mm. You know, pro athletes, they really are all about me. And they're really not about the team because their whole thing is don't mess up my money. Right. And which is understandable. I get that, especially the type of money that we're talking about with those guys. But with college athletes, they do it because they love it. They do it because they want to do it. And just when you have reached a point where you're kind of tired of the athlete and they're kind of tired of you and it's just time to move on, well, boom, they're seniors and they're gone and you got new athletes coming in with new stories and new backgrounds and new love of the game. So it's always kind of, it's naturally refreshing itself as a sport. Right. Right. Well, that's cool. You were able to at least try it out, try out working with a professional sports team, saw something you didn't want to do and being able to write for your, I know you don't like to talk about this, but your alma mater. Uh, Awesome. Now, what about the uh, flip side though? What type of challenges are out there for you? I mean, to, like I said, to me, the, the biggest challenge is access or lack thereof, mm, you know? Yeah. You can't tell good stories if you don't get time to talk to people, right? If you don't have access to the athlete or the coaches, and especially during the pandemic, the pandemic, everything has been on Zoom. And trust me, you don't get anything out of these guys on Zoom. You just, you just don't. And part of that is because of the structure of the, you know, you're, we're all talking into monitors, Right. Right. As opposed to as opposed to if you and I were sitting together, it, it would just it would just go a lot different. You can read someone's body language. You just get a person's vibe a lot better. Yep, yep. And that's really hard through this little bitty camera <laughs> hole. So that's hard. And that's that's a big challenge. I think that a lot of college athletic teams are going to have to really rethink media coverage once we do kind of quote unquote go back to normal starting I I think it's going to be starting next season the 2021 football season I'm expecting the stadium to be open again I'm expecting full house because you know one of the things that Texas folks have told me is that they are going to reopen once it is perceived that the vaccine is widely available right Right. And so whether you want to get the vaccine or whether you believe the vaccine will work or whether you think that the vaccine will make a horn sprout out of your head, whatever. (laughs) Right. If it gives you a third eye, I don't know. But 
once vaccines, the vaccine is considered to be widely available, I think we're going to return to normal fairly quickly, sports-wise. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we look forward to it. Need a change. Hopefully, a lot of people, a lot more people go out and get the vaccine, and hopefully they do a better job of rolling it out as well. Absolutely. Um, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. Now, what about comments? Do you know you have to have a social media presence? And with that, a lot of people get negative comments. Like, no, <laughs> nobody says anything negative on Twitter. Really? Nobody, 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 it's all sunshine and rainbows on Twitter. Right. I figure that. <laughs> but So do you read those negative comments or do you just don't pay any mind to any of them? I mean, it, you know, it, I think you're fooling yourself if you don't at least keep tabs on the tone of what, or not so much the tone, but, but what, what are people saying? Okay. You know, cause, cause, cause that, I will say that good, bad, or indifferent, the feedback is good, mm. right? You, you want feedback. You want to know if something you wrote is being well received or if maybe you wrote something that was off base. And I'm not, and I'm not talking about like factual errors, things like that. Cause trust right. me, cause those can be fixed. Th- those can be fixed quickly, obviously, right. uh, you know, on the, in the internet, but maybe you wrote something that the fandom thinks, Oh, come on, B Davis. You don't, you don't believe that or, <laughs> or whatever. Right. Fortunately for me, that doesn't happen very often. The biggest thing that I face in terms of social media criticism typically comes from opposing fan bases, which you ignore right or it's people who quite frankly want you to be even harder on the team there was a group of of pretty passionate twitter followers that were pissed that i wasn't being harder on tom herman at the end and i'm like um you guys know there's like seven and three right or six and three whatever whatever the record was and you know they they blew out kansas state and Colorado, this is before Tom got fired. And so it's like the, the team is winning and they finished third in the big 12. Yeah, that's not in the top two. And that is disappointing, but you know, they're not dog meat either. Right. Right. So wasn't the Charlie uh, strong years. Yeah. I mean, Charlie strong, that was, those are three straight losing seasons. Right. You know? And so of course, you know, <laughs> What was so funny about that time period is that everybody just everybody felt like, oh my God, this is duh, this is terrible, right? And so you couldn't write enough bad stories mm. about, about the team then, because you know, because I, I tell you, a lot of people do like to hate read. There's a lot of hate reading right. going on out, out there. Exactly. Um, yep. And that, and that's fine. I mean, there's definitely a market for that too. There's a market for for uh, political fear and sports fear and all that stuff. So, but like I said, if you come back to, if you keep it real with the fan base, generally speaking, they're going to be okay with it. Yeah. Yep. All right. Now, what about memorable moments? Do you have any memorable moments that stick out in your career to you? You know, I'm, I know I'm probably supposed to rattle off a laundry list of things. I think of weird moments that people wouldn't really know, like, like, you know, I covered Bob Knight at Texas Tech for three years. Wow. <laughs> you know, I could tell you some crazy Bob Knight stories. But I remember being in the airport at Love Field, and this was before Love Field was remodeled. And remember how there was a Chili's there, and then you turned the corner, and it was a big, long walkway? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I ran into him at the airport, and he was like, where are you going? <laughs> I said, well, I'm going here. And he's like, let's go eat. <laughs> okay and so he and i went to that chili's there at love field and we had breakfast that morning just me and him and you know funny story is that we're talking and some fans walked up oh coach coach you're you're a hero we love you can you sign this we'd love to have your autograph oh you know i don't carry a pen with me and i said i said you know what hey coach i, I have a pen here's a here's a pen oh okay thanks 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 and he signs it you know to, to whoever it was, you know, from Bob Knight. Here you, here, here you go. Here's your pen. Okay, thanks, Coach. Another five minutes go by. Someone else comes up to him. Hey, Coach, Coach, oh, my God, my husband loves you. You're the best, blah, blah, blah. Can I get an autograph? Well, you know, I don't have a pen. I, I, said, I said, here you go, Coach. Here you go. Okay, thanks, thanks. You know, okay, two, blah, 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 blah. Okay, thank you, thank you. 
and the couple walked away. God damn it, Brian. <laughs> I've got a pen. I don't need your pen. I don't want to sign these autographs. <laughs> okay, coach. Sorry. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. I've got a goddamn pen. Classic Bobby Knight. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, you know, things like that. You know, I, I do That's think funny. about big – I do think about big games. I was at the Oklahoma USC game where Oklahoma got blown out mm. in the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Peterson got blown out. I was also covering Oklahoma the year of the Boise State game. Oh yeah! Um, wow. So, so the, the the marriage proposal at the end. Mm-hmm. Hook and ladder. Yeah, yeah, the hook and ladder. I was at I was at Rupp Arena for a NCAA regional game where Indiana's Tom Coverdale hit like twelve pointers uh, to send Indiana to the Final Four, and so. Nice. I mean, I think of a lot of just crazy things that happened in post game. Uh, there's a video on the internet of J.D. Runnels, the Oklahoma fullback, after Oklahoma lost at Texas Tech one year. I don't remember what year it was. It was like either 02 or 03. And uh, there's a fan yelling at the top of the staircase going, Go Raiders! And he was yelling at so loud and so obnoxiously that it's just it was funny and mm. and here here Oklahoma players are they've lost and this tech fan is screaming at them and me and JD Runnels are on video you know just looking up at this guy like oh my god who is this guy and he goes I paid to get in here I can say whatever I want no <laughs> Raiders you know and so I, I think of crazy stuff like that in this profession, along with dozens and dozens and dozens of just of people you meet along the way. And I've been very fortunate. That's great. No, there's a lot of great moments, uh, a lot of great moments in sports. And like you said, so many people would definitely trade their jobs for yours in a heartbeat. So that's awesome. Now, do you have any advice for people getting into sports writing? Well, what I would say is, is that don't be intimidated by what you don't know, number one. Don't be intimidated by what you may perceive as a high barrier for entry because there's really not. Mm. You look at all these websites now, either recruiting websites or fan sites or all the way up to mainstream media. If you want to write something about your favorite team, regardless of whatever team it is, there's probably a vehicle you can get that published or posted or heck, create your own website. There's a lot of fans that have that with Texas. Don't let that stop you or, or, like I said, intimidate you from doing it. That's number one. Number two is, is that what I would say is, is don't think that what you see on ESPN's hot take shows is what we do, because it's not. Stephen A. and Skip Bayless, and I mean, those guys are, they're just entertainers. Those are right. entertainers. That's right. all they are. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's, we, need, we need room for, there's a lot of room for a lot of people here under the tent, right? But that's not what I do. And that's certainly not what all the people who cover sports on an everyday basis do either. And so, so there's that. And then finally, what I would say is that if you're really serious about this business or wanting to get into this business, I tell young folks this all the time, go find two or three, three or four writers that you really, really like, okay, and read what they write every day, Mm. okay? You can do that by following them on Twitter, okay, because everybody tweets out links to their stories, and follow people that write about what you're interested in, Mm -hmm. okay? Like, I'm a big, big consumer of political news okay on both sides right mostly because i'm a news junkie but because there are very good informative journalists that were covering the trump campaign that were covering the biden campaign and don't get so bogged down and well you know i'm a i'm a democrat so i'm not going to read that stuff you know forget all that forget all that good writing is good writing right and good reporting is good reporting and so follow that pick you out some sports columnists that you like write daily columns. For me, that was Bill Platschke of the LA Times. You know, I have an online subscription to the LA Times. I try to tell young journalists too, if, if you're coming up in this profession and you don't know who Maggie Haberman is, then I don't know that you're serious about this profession. Mm. You know, if you can't tell me who the number one 
writer is covering the White House for the New York Times, then I don't know if you're super serious about journalism, right? right? You need to know who are the movers and shakers in this industry, whether you like them, agree with them or not. These are the people that are shaping the narrative. And the same goes in sports too. If you like the Cowboys, hypothetically, and which I do, obviously, but if you like the Cowboys, you know, you need to know what David Moore and the uh, Clarence Hill are writing. You need to know what those guys are doing, mm-hmm. right? And follow them on a daily basis. Yeah. So not good enough to just know what you want to do and like certain things, but you have to research what you're interested in, what your passions are as well. Know Absolutely. These, yeah, know what's going on in there. Okay. If, Makes sense. If no, I great was, advice. If, if I wanted to be a chef, mm-hmm. I would be watching what Emeril Lagasse does, mm-hmm. you know, right? If I if I wanted to be a classically trained musician, I would read up about Yo-Yo Ma. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so it's so staggering to me that young people nowadays, I mean, look, I get it. You were born on third base and you think you're triple. I get it. Yeah. Okay, right? Uh, maybe I maybe I was cocky that way at once. I'm sure I was, right? Um, but as you get, you know, but as you slowly get older, you realize, hey, I don't know everything, mm-hmm. and that's okay too. You got to learn what you don't know. The biggest thing about people getting into this business is that they just don't they don't know what they don't know, right? And I think that's probably true for a lot of people going into their chosen field, right? And it's something that only comes with with time and experience. Well. That's great. And uh, I'm hoping that this will help people, a lot of people out that are interested in this industry. So you're right. You don't know what you don't know. So hopefully this will give them a lot more awareness and exposure to some of the things that you have done and a lot of this advice that you've given. So thank you for that. Absolutely. You bet. Yeah. So, hey, Brian, we're at the end of this interview. Uh, I want to head over to this quick hitter session where I'm going to ask you some questions for fun just to get to know you a little bit better. But before we do that, though, just want to see if you have anything additional that you would like to talk about or if, if you feel like I might have left off any questions asking you. No, you know, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you how I end all of my interviews. All right. And just like you're saying, what you just did is basically kind of what I do, just in a different way. I always ask people, I always say, listen, if I was to write a story about you, what is the one thing you want me to drive home? What's the one point you'd want me to really, really stress? That, that's, that's my final question in all interviews because it really forces people to think. When you frame it like that, you know, what's the one thing you really want me to stress about you? I promise mm. you, people are going to stop and think and they're going to think, okay, I'd want people to know that I am a baker. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing. You're going for you're trying to get them to tell you something that they wouldn't have told you otherwise. Right. 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 And you'd be shocked. You'd be shocked at what people have told me over the years with that Avenue of questioning. Hmm. And it leads to a whole another 30, 40 minutes. You know, it's like, well, tell me about that. You know, what's, what's the story on that? You got to remember people love to talk about themselves. Yes, they do. Right. Mm-hmm. As, I, as I'm proving on this <laughs> podcast, right? And so part of your job as a journalist is to get them to open up, mm-hmm. get them to talk about themselves. But yet at the same time, you want to steer the conversation in ways to where you're getting different kinds of information. Right. You're learning more about them as a person. And quite frankly, you're, you're trying to be respectful of their time and you're trying to maximize yours. Yeah, man, great advice again. I mean, I feel like that's the sort of question that has people just dig deep and be very introspective. Absolutely, about that's themselves. exactly what it does. Yeah, absolutely, that's what it does. Yes, mm. nice. Uh, I love that. Love that. Wrote that down. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so let's go to these quick hitter questions. First one, and I think you might have said this already, but what's your favorite sports team? Cowboys. Yeah. So. Yeah, the Dallas Cowboys are the only team where I will sit down and turn my brain off for three hours, and it's just okay, Dak, entertain me. Nice. That, uh, that's what that is. You can do that. That's that's great. Favorite movie or show? 
favorite movie of all time um, is Top is Top. I mean, I, I, is I what? guess that'd be that. Uh, Top Gun. Oh, Top Gun. The old, yeah, the old Tom, the old Tom Cruise show. Yeah, uh, I'm a generic white guy, and so that's perfect for me. <laughs> um, you know, uh, favorite show. Uh, favorite show probably here lately. It, it would well, number one show of all time is Sopranos in my, in my mm-hmm. estimation. I think Game of Thrones is up there. Oh yeah, uh, for pr- sure. Pretty much as well too. Yeah. Yep. Love Game of Thrones. Favorite and, and Top Gun. That's a classic. Yeah, love it. Favorite musical artist or group? Uh, I listen to everything. Mm. Really, I don't go to many concerts because. Oddly enough, I don't like crowds. Mm. That 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 sound that may sound weird. Yeah. I am a psycho when it comes to getting to the arena or stadium early enough to where I don't have to fight parking. Right. Okay. <laughs> right. So that's so pretty I early. don't do. Yeah, it is. So <laughs> I don't do very well in crowds. So I don't go to a lot of concerts. But I, I but I listen to a little bit of everything on my uh, Apple Music. Okay. All right. Favorite vacation spot? Maui. Oh, uh, yeah. Without a doubt. My wife knows that when I die, I'm to be cremated, and my ashes are to be poured off the Molokini crater uh, there in Maui. Nice. She knows this. This is well known in our family. Got it down pat. Okay. <laughs> and favorite food or drink? Whatever they have at Whataburger is mm. fine with me. And uh, I'm not I'm not a big alcoholic guy, at least not anymore. It makes my stomach hurt more mm-hmm. than it does, you know, getting messed up or anything like that. Yeah. So the most I'll, the most I'll have anymore is, is uh, one Tanqueray and tonic with no lime. And then I have to switch to tea or Diet Coke. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. And Whataburger. OK, like that, too. And oh, yeah. one other question besides yourself. Who would you say, do you have a favorite sports writer or sports journalist? Well, growing up for me, it was Randy Galloway. Mm. Randy Galloway, Kevin Blackystone, and a lot of the guys who just worked at the Dallas Morning News. You know, I, to me, that was the mecca of sports journalism. And, and you remember, too, this was, this was pre-internet. Yeah. And so it, so it was hard to, you know, like you hear guys say, oh, well, I liked uh, the guy in, in St. Louis and I liked the guy in New York and I liked the guy in Florida. And that's all maybe true. Pre-internet, you, you couldn't read people every day. That's true. Right? Yeah. You, you had to read your hometown paper. And mm-hmm. so my dad had a run where he was throwing the Dallas Times Herald for a little while. And so we took the Herald at first and then the Herald went out of business. And so then we switched to the morning news when I, I was, I was very uh, little B Davis at the time mm. and just, to, to be able to read those writers and then to become one of them for a, over a decade was pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that is really cool. So, Brian, it's been great. Great advice that you've told. I just love all that you do, the storytelling and, and talking about just you, your growth from a little kid, seeing these writers like Randy Galloway and others, and then you becoming that writer, becoming that writer that everyone knows and talks about. So, Man, just congrats on all well, that you've done. Oh, yeah, you, you definitely are. I appreciate that. But we have, yeah, you definitely are. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I mean, I my biggest thing is, my biggest thing is that I'm definitely not trying to be anything more than I am. Mm. That's for sure. I mean, I, I don't take myself all that seriously. That's just not the kind of person I am. Mm-hmm. But it is very important to me. It's very, very important to me that fans can read my work and feel connected to the team. Yes. They, they feel connected to what's going on. And, and most importantly, most importantly, that I want people to watch the game and whether or not the team that I'm covering wins or loses, it doesn't matter. I want them to read my story. And when it's over, I want them to be able to put it down and go, yeah, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what I want. I want them to, to feel like, yeah, that dude saw it the same way I did. That's what's important to me. Well, that is what's happening. You you paint a very clear picture with your storytelling, and you do connect us to the team. So, and just congrats again, and thank you, man, for coming on to this podcast. And 
Also, can you tell us where, uh, if people want to reach out to you for any comments, questions, or anything where they can reach out to you? Absolutely. All of our stuff can be found at the Austin American Statesman's website, hook'em.com. I think probably everybody knows how to spell that. And then <laughs> on Twitter, it's just at B Davis AAS. And you can send me all the crazy comments from your burner account uh, that you'd like. I will see them and get a laugh out of most of them. Right. Thanks again. Appreciate it. And hook them. Absolutely. You bet. Hope you enjoyed it. All right. No, definitely did. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be in the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.